0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Last week, we were talking about the Occupy movement, and we were talking about how this Occupy movement started with Occupy Wall Street, uh, how it started to ripple all around the country and really all around the world uh, with people occupying places, I was talking to some of the gentlemen this uh, Wednesday at the, at the men's Bible study uh, who, who shared that they were trying to get home from work and they couldn't get on the freeway because people were sitting in the freeways, like literally sitting, occupying the freeway uh, to make a statement. So the Occupy movement took on a lot of different shapes, uh, made a lot of news coverage, uh, you know, disrupted a lot of business, and it was a way of making a statement uh, based on economics And it went all around the world. Well, what we were saying is that although that may seem popular, the Occupy movement, God has his own Occupy movement. And God has had an Occupy movement in place with his people for 3,500 years. And it's alive and well today. And I want to unpack it a little bit and see what our place is In God's Occupy movement, he started back in Numbers 33 uh, when he was telling the Israelites 3,500 years ago, he says, take possession of the land and settle in it because I have given it to you to occupy, to occupy. God's got a promised land. He says, if you look at the history of the land of Canaan, there was a lot of things going on there that were not honoring to God at all. God's like, I'm going to shift this culture completely. I'm going to have my people come in with a heart for me, with a recognition of me. And I am going to do things through my people that are going to completely turn the culture upside down where it's a God honoring society. He said, I'm giving you the land, but you also have to take it. I'm giving, but you take it. And as you do this, I want you to fully occupy the land. And then we see in the history of Israel, in the narrative of Scripture, through Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, Joshua, Judges, and even in Kings, you see this whole repeated story over and over again, chapter after chapter, stories where God's people would go in and occupy the land, would fully get invested for the glory of God, and then the, the land is blessed, and God does great things. But then there would be seasons where God's people would retreat, or get lazy, and step away from possessing the land. And as a result, evil influences would end up rising to the top. And evil would begin to possess the land. And we see this pattern over and over and over again happening so many times. There's so many sequences. And and the, the story God would say is, you didn't possess the land. That's why this is happening. You're praying to me, asking me to change something, but you didn't possess the land. You started to and stopped possessing the land. And it's, it's interesting when God's people fully possess the land, simply saying, God, we want you to reign on high. We want your ways and your will. We want your blessing in the land. You're the all-knowing God. You're the sovereign one and we are not. We want what you say is best. And when there's a culture of people willing to honor God that way, God's influence reigns in the land. But when God's people retreat, there are other influences fighting because there's a war for culture. How many of you guys know there's a war for culture? That war, war for culture is not a new one. That was going on since the land of Canaan and it's still going on today. There is a war going on. The Bible says we don't wage war against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, rulers, dominions in high places. There's a realm of a, a war going on for influence over people, over souls. And God's saying, I want my influence to reign Reign in the land, and so it's really important that when we occupy, God blesses, and we when we choose to not occupy, there's usually consequences. Um, last week we looked at Luke nine thirteen, and in the King James version we unpack that chapter. But but Jesus said to his people, his servants, his followers, he says, "Listen, occupy until I come. I'm going to come back. I'm giving you some stuff, I'm giving you gifts, giving you talents." When I come back, I want you to occupy until I come. And when I come back, I'm going to see how well you occupied. And if you occupied well, the passage says, I am going to give you influence, the Bible says, influence over more things, more cities, is what the passage said. And if we don't occupy well, if we don't leverage godly influence, if we don't do this, then the passage says, I'm actually going to take away the influence that you had that you didn't do anything with and give it to someone else. What's ironic about that statement is that is completely different than the current modern day Occupy movement. The Occupy movement today says take from anybody who has more and give it to those who don't. Now, maybe that's your position. I don't know what your view on finances in and global market economies and things like that. But in the Bible, Jesus is saying, if you are faithful... I am going to reward you with more. And if you're not, then that opportunity for influence, I gave you a platform, I gave you a microphone, I gave you a little segment of influence, whether it's in the preschool or at DMV or in a classroom or on the job or where, in your neighborhood, among your family, whatever that little slice might be, I've given you influence. What did you do with it? And for those who said, I just buried it, I didn't do anything, Jesus is saying, I asked you to occupy until I came, and so I, I have to take this now and give this influence to someone else who's going to do a better job with it. And so this occupation movement, according to, to God, is still in place with the people of God representing God uh, in our society. And the way we do this, the way we occupy, is not sitting in the middle of freeways, shutting down the 101. Um, not shutting down business centers. Um, You know, if you choose to do that as part of the other Occupy movement, you know, everyone's got a different choice and a different view and you're welcome to do that. But in the kingdom of God, in God's economy, that's not how we occupy. In God's economy, we occupy by being what Jesus told us to be. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say, try to be the light of the world. He didn't say, you might someday become. He didn't, might say, he didn't say at least aim at it. He said, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And now guess what? Through me, you are the light of the world. And let your light shine before men so they'll see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. He said, go ahead, go public. Go ye therefore, step out into this world, into this culture and light it up. And don't put your light under a bowl. Put it up high so it lights up the whole room. This is what Jesus said about you, And about me, let your light shine. This is how we occupy. He said that we are, you are, the salt of the earth. That's a radical statement. The salt of the earth. Salt does two things. It gives flavor. In a culture where there's not a lot of flavor, not good flavor. God's saying, my people, I'm giving you salt. Pour it out. Get your salt out of the shaker. You might ask yourself, are you keeping your salt in the shaker or are you pouring it out? Because God wants to pour out some flavor in our culture and he wants to do it through you. Another thing salt does, it's preservative. It preserves things. Salt keeps things fresh. And in the old days, they didn't have refrigerators. And salt was what was used to keep everything fresh. God's saying you're living in a time and a culture where if somebody doesn't keep it fresh for my name's sake, if somebody doesn't give it flavor and keep it fresh, then things will start to deteriorate. And this is what happens in any society that walks away from God and doesn't allow godly influence to reign because there's a war for influence. And when God's people retreat, that's when evil encroaches and takes opportunities. And you don't have to look further than the history of Israel to see that. And in history of of nations, plural, uh, we see that. So from God's standpoint, if we lose our uh, place of influence, we lose our culture. If we take our place of influence, we win our culture by being salt and light. So if you're a note taker this morning, we're going to be looking at Mark 12. You can open there. But if you're a note taker and you want to understand how you and I occupy, what does God's occupy movement look like for you and I? um, The first thing is to note is based on what Jesus is saying, occupy until I come. Um, God would say this is our first point, I believe, today. We are called to charge and not retreat. The people of God are called to charge and not retreat. Because when it comes to society and and, and culture and what is the church's place in that, some people would rather just step back and be quiet and let it all work itself out. And God is saying, no, occupy. Take that slice of influence I gave you. Step up, pray up, go public, step into it in faith with that little slice. And I will give you more influence if you do. But if you don't, I may have to take away the influence I gave you because he'll watch us for a long time and we have to do something with that influence. So we're called to charge and not retreat. So uh, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 12, or on your device, uh, we're gonna look in at 13 through 27. And what we're gonna be doing as we go through this series, this summer series on God's Occupy movement, we're gonna be looking at um, different slices of our society where there's actually these mountains of influence. There's a war for influence and we're looking at different areas. We're we're looking at today, we're looking at uh, God and government. How does this work out with government? The government system is so big. How in the world do you and I have any influence in that? And the Bible has a lot to say about what God allows in governments and what God does with governments. We're going to be looking over the next weeks about our, our, our media and our whole entertainment system. This is a mountain of influence in our society. How do we occupy that one? We're going to be looking at uh, things like, uh, you know, our, um, going down the list of religion. What does tradition look like in religion and and our customs that we have in our society? What does that look like compared to what God wants to do? Because there's a mountain of influence there. There's a mountain of influence in all these different slices we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, the next coming weeks. And we're going to learn how God wants you and I to take our place of influence, shine light, be salt, represent Him, Where God's influence reigns in this place. And and I believe that's how God used Israel to bless the nations. When Israel took her rightful place in a God honoring society, Israel was a blessing to the nations. And when Israel didn't, when Israel retreated, we saw a vacuum of godliness, of God's people taking their place. And we saw other things encroach. And you can, again, you can follow the story in those Old Testament books again and again and again. And you see that same thesis repeated over and over and over again. So uh, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13, talking about my God and my government. Let's see how Jesus responds to uh, these kind of questions that have to do with God and government and where do we we fit and where do we belong and how does this thing work itself out and um, what's our place in it. Uh, Beginning in verse 13, Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay, a no, you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So in this little snapshot right here, we see this tension of people trying to trap Jesus. Uh, But the groups are interesting. We have the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were supposed to symbolize the spiritual life of Israel. And we have the Herodians, which would basically like saying uh, members of the local government or uh, the Senate or the congressmen. Uh, These people are representing the government and they show up to challenge Jesus to see how he's going to respond to this tension between spiritual life and secular life. Between God... And government, and I think it's very uh, insightful as to how you and I are called to follow in Jesus's footsteps and have an understanding of God and government and what our place is uh, in this. There's a there's a tension, if you will, in this passage that some would say is the sacred and the secular, the sacred and the secular. And some believers separate this dramatically. Some believers compartmentalize their life between the sacred and the secular. But if you look at Jesus, he wasn't separating things. Jesus walked fully in the power of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere he went through secular streets and secular environments, he carried the kingdom of God with him everywhere. I don't see Jesus separating the sacred and the secular. I see Jesus carrying the kingdom everywhere he went and just walking it out. And yet these two groups are very separated, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And they're trying to trip Jesus. Uh, And this is the context. And Jesus doesn't retreat. And neither should we. He brought, Jesus brought the sacred into the secular. Jesus walked with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. The sacred Spirit of God inside of him. Everywhere you read Mark's gospel, it says Jesus filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, he did this. Filled with the Spirit, he did this. Jesus is walking in the sacred, because the sacred spirit is living in him. The Holy Spirit is living in him. And he walks into any situation, and wherever he goes, he brings the spirit of God, the power, the presence, the love of God with him as an ambassador, as God's son. That to me is important, because you and I can have two different views on this. We can have the view that Jesus had, or we could have our view, which is very black and white. And we can think to ourselves, well, this is sacred sacred and good, and this is secular, and this is bad. And if you have this view of the sacred and the secular, that they're totally separated like that, I think you miss the heart of Jesus, and I think we miss the effectiveness of God's kingdom. To understand the effectiveness of God's kingdom, we have to look at what Jesus did and all the apostles did. They walked right through secular streets. They stood in front of kings. They proclaimed their case. They did everything. They didn't separate the sacred from the secular. And so the second point this morning is if we're gonna be like Jesus, I think we do what he did. And the second point is to bring the sacred into the secular. You have the spirit of God living in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. The same spirit, think about that, the same spirit that raised him from the dead is living inside of you. And therefore you too are carrying the sacred. Amen? You're carrying the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are carrying the Holy Spirit. You're a carrier of the presence of the living God. And that's huge. As a result, the influence you can have as a child of God, carrying His presence, carrying literally the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, Scripture says, living inside of you, the influence that you can have is monumental because God wants to have His way in you and through you. We can't live our life with this total world, mindset of a separation between the sacred and the secular, because Jesus is not making that separation, and nor should we. Jesus carried the secular right sec, He carried the sacred right into the secular, and so should you and I. So bring the sacred into the secular. That's really important. Um, you might have heard the, the saying before, uh, "Don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good." Have you guys heard that before? Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, like I'm just thinking about God and the kingdom and eternity, but in the meantime, we're missing out on all these secular opportunities around us because we're just thinking of the future and thinking of eternity and we're not thinking of all these opportunities to occupy or to possess the land, same word, occupy and possess. We're not even thinking about them because we're so like fixated on the future that we're not taking advantage of the opportunities around us every day as ambassadors for Christ and we're not carrying the Holy Spirit into places and, and, and places of influence where there's a vacuum of godly leadership where God's saying, I, I wanna give you greater leadership if you're faithful with the influence slice that I gave you. So, so you and I are to bring the sacred um, into the secular. And Jesus says this in verse 17. He says, here's the answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's And to God, what is God's? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God, what is God's? So the question is, what is Caesar's and what is God's? Because we're supposed to give to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to him. This is Jesus' answer in this big challenge of the sacred and the secular. He goes, here's the answer. Bam, he just drops it on us like this. What is Caesar's? Caesar represents the government. President, governors, senators, mayors, um, local assemblies, the police, the fire, the, the structure of government that God has set up around us. And by God's sovereignty, He has us in America, in a free country. He has others living in different realms, in different societies, under different government structures. But by the sovereignty of God, you are in this free society where you can vote, you can choose, you can uh, do a lot of things, a lot of choice, a lot of opportunity in the society by God's sovereign grace that he has you in. We could have been living on the other side of the planet in a completely different section of the world where there are none of the opportunities and we wouldn't have even had the breakfast that we did or had the opportunity to gather and fellowship without being under persecution. But by the grace of God, you are here and now for such a time as this, which is God's grace. And so, in this situation, he's saying, render to Caesar what Caesar's, render to God what is God." So Caesar, representing the government, uh, is honor, honor the government, respect the government, and in fact, pay taxes to the government. The Bible says this also, when taxes are due, pay taxes. This is the word of God. I want to mention this real quick because sometimes, you know, um, Christians can kind of have this view, well, it's just the government anyway and they have plenty of money anyway. I just want to tell you, that the, the word of God is saying, If we owe taxes to Caesar, pay taxes to Caesar. This is an area that's important. It's important to your your integrity and mine. If we owe taxes, the taxes got to get paid. And so that's something that we don't want to have a oh bless me, bless me, God, but I'm going to try to dodge the government over here. Does that make sense? It's the word of God. I just we can't look at a passage like this and skip over this. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Claim things on your taxes that you're supposed to claim. Don't claim what you're not. Does that make sense? Just have integrity on your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give the government what the government deserves. And then give God what God deserves. So the question is, what what does God deserve? Well, when we look at what is God's, give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What is God's? Well, hopefully you and I are. (laughs) If you've said, if you belong to him, Maybe that's a good question. Do you belong to him? I know you believe in God. You're here today. You believe in God. You honor him. Do you belong to him? If he's the Lord of your life, you belong to him. If you know about him, maybe you don't belong to him yet. But if you've made him the Lord of your life, you belong to him. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. The word says, do you belong to him? It's a great question to ask yourself. But if we belong to God, then we are his. Our lives are his and stewardship is required of us. We belong to God. And one theme I see throughout the Bible is giving God our stewardship, our honor, giving God our devotion, giving God our worship, giving God our time, our intimacy, our loving God, our creator. This is is what's required of us as children of God. You know, even giving God our first fruits, putting God first in areas of our life, even giving God, the Bible says, a tithe belongs to the Lord. I'm not making that up. The Bible says it belongs to him. So when we think of giving Caesar what Caesar's and giving God's what's God's, ask yourself that question. This is between you and God, but you might want to write the question down and do a a little soul searching with God, even in a time of prayer. God, am I giving Caesar what belongs to Caesar? And am I giving you what belongs to you? Ask the Lord that question. Let him answer that. The spirit of God will show you and lead you in that. But it is a great place to be to say, yes, I am following Jesus and doing what he's saying. I'm giving a Caesar what belongs to you. I'm giving a God what belongs to God. That puts you in a great place of blessability because you're really being a Christ follower in these, in these areas. It's important. And so uh, I would say based on this passage, I think we'd all agree that we are obligated to both God and country. We are obligated to both God and country, but in that order, to God and country. Not to country and then God to God and country. You're not going to stand before country someday and give an account of your life and your stewardship and what you did. That's not going to be, a, that's not going to be a asked of you. But we are going to stand before God, our creator, the lover of our soul, how we did with everything that he gave us um, and our stewardship. So um, God and country in that order. And this is really cool. 1 Peter 2.17, we have this for up here. And... Um, you know, when we were mountain biking yesterday, we were down in that Sepulveda Basin down there. You know that big place you see from the one hundred and one and the four hundred five up on. You know that big. It's like a, a big dam really down there. But we were riding, and amongst all the graffiti, right smack in the middle was First Peter two seventeen. First Peter two seventeen was written right where we were up on this hill with our bikes. I'm looking down. I'm like. I can't believe that's graffitied right here because that's what we're teaching on tomorrow. And I was just blown away that God had this graffiti right smack in the middle of all this other graffiti. You couldn't miss it. We have a graphic for it? Okay, I don't know if we have the graphic for it, but I took a picture of it and uh, it was just so cool to see somebody scribble this random scripture that isn't your common scripture that you would even see graffitied or held up at a ball game. And uh, it was really cool. But it, but it says in First Peter two seventeen, show proper respect to everyone... Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the king. Fear God, honor the emperor. And when you look this up in the Greek what this what this is breaking down, clearly proper respect to everyone. Respect people. Give honor and respect to everyone. That's important. Love the family of believers. Love up on the family of believers. Go big with the, with the family of believers. Take an extra step with God's people. Never cease doing good, especially for the family of believers. So God is saying to love a little extra for those in the family. Extend grace a little extra for those in the family. Have a little extra mercy for those in the family. But I love this, these last two about honor the emperor and fear God. When you look up the way this is worded in the Greek, the difference between fearing God and honoring the emperor, it's basically saying give proper honor to the government, give proper honor. And give exceeding honor to God. Give proper honor to government. Give exceeding honor to God. In other words, government is deserves our honor. We're supposed to respect and honor the government. Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give exceeding honor to God. That's just the way this is written right here. And that's why you and I have an obligation to both God and government. But in that order. God and government. And, and the passage is pretty clear. I love it. So if you're a note taker, here's the third point. Give government what it deserves and give God what he deserves. This is Jesus' words. Give government what it deserves and give God what he deserves. Again, pray about that later and say, Lord, am I missing it here or am I I walking this out? Because I believe there's a lot of blessability in God's order here and following through on this. I uh, want to cover a couple of other scriptures real quick that give us a an overview on God's heart for government and how you and I occupy, and if we do occupy, what comes out of it, and if we don't occupy, what comes out of that. Um, Romans 13.1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, One clear thing we need to point out here is that God establishes governments. He allows leadership structures to be in place. Now, you might look around the world and say, well, what about that one? That's really a bad one. That's the first thing that comes to mind. It's like, well, wait a minute. Don't miss the second point of this. God establishes. He allows things to happen. He's sovereign. He's he's ultimately all-knowing. But he does it for two reasons. The first one, is he does it to bless? He does it to bless. But the other reason is he does it for consequences. To bless and for consequences. And he's done that through Israel's history as well. And he does that now in our times as well. God in his sovereignty. There were times where Israel was a blessing to the nation and they were walking in there, possessing the land and they were being an influence and it was a blessing to all those around them. And in fact, Israel was the largest that it ever was in the time of Solomon when temple worship was established the right way and the influence to the world, all trade centers came through Israel. It was the largest piece of real estate that they ever had and it was a blessing to all the nations undeniably. A really amazing kingdom that God established through the people of God. But then there were times also before they went into captivity where they completely walked away from the ways of God, the will of God. They completely walked away. And there was a vacuum and they did not take influence and evil came in and they started setting up things in their town, the high places, evil things, demonic worship. And Israel's like, well, whatever, let everybody do what they want to do. I'll worry about my family over here and I don't care about the society around me. I don't care about the secular. I'm just going to worry about me over here. And as in this place of vacuum, all this evil started to rise up and started to take over. And the people of God weren't doing anything about it. They were just walking away like it's not my problem. It's not my calling. How many of you heard the statement that evil happens when good men do nothing? Evil happens when good women do nothing. Don't pray, don't involve, just step back. And then evil has its way because there's a war for culture going on. There's a war for influence. Well, when this happened with Israel, God said, there has to be consequence now. I've sent prophet after prophet, after prophet, after prophet, to warn, to say, turn, I got a better way for you. I love you. Please follow me and occupy the land. And people were turning away from God and they're not doing that. So God says, you know, now because of this, there has to be a consequence and I'm gonna raise up Babylon. And Babylon is gonna come in here. And the people of God were saying, wait a second. There's no way you can use Babylon. You can do anything, God. You can make an earthquake, but not... Don't use those people. Why would you use those people, God? They're not nice people over there. And God was saying, I'll raise up who I need to do what I need to do. I raise up things sometimes for blessing, but sometimes for consequence. So God in his sovereignty is knowing of that. It says in um, Jeremiah 18, I believe we have it for up here. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, it's Jeremiah 18, five through 10. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you Israel as this potter does. The picture of a potter with a with, with a potter's wheel declares the Lord like clay in the hand of the potter so are you in my hand Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted torn down and destroyed and if that nation I warned repents of its evil then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted. And if that, it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider it, the good that I intended for it. God is saying, I can bless or I can cause consequence. I allow this in the nations. I allow this in the leadership. There's a, there's a bigger thing in place. And what we see is when Israel was taking their place of fully occupying the land for the glory of God, there was totally blessings. When Israel retreated, The people of God said, nope, that's secular. I'm not going to be involved in any kind of way. And there was a vacuum. Then evil took over the land and no one did anything about it. No one said anything. No one stood against it. No one one got involved. And pretty soon it began to affect everyone and the children of the people of the Israelites. And and pretty soon you find out that people in the family are worshiping these Ashtoreth poles and this gods of Molech. You're like, how did this happen with God's people? Well, no one did anything about it for so long. It just encroached and encroached and encroached on the land that it just became a way of life for everybody. So like Israel, I believe our nation too, guys, is clay in the hands of the potter. I believe our nation is too. And we could let God shape us or we can try to say, I'm getting off the potter's wheel. You can't shape us, God. Uh, And when we look at our nation, our nation has some pretty uh, rich Uh, heritage I just want to recap on some of it really quick but Psalm 20 Psalm 127 1 says this unless the Lord builds the house the builders labor in vain and unless the Lord watches over the city the guards watch it in vain in other words you can protect and build all you want you can finance what you want you can leverage what you want you can have great ideas what you want but God is bigger does that make sense God is bigger than what any nation can plan, what any nation can subsidize. Uh, he is bigger. And he can protect a nation or not protect. He can bless or not bless. And when we occupy and take possession, we see from Israel's history, God blesses. And when we don't, he removes his blessing. And Psalm 3312 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You know, when you look at the foundation of this country, I remember being at um, Promise Keepers uh, in L.A. Coliseum. I don't know, 90, 80,000, 90,000 men down there worshiping God in one place. It was a pretty powerful moment in time for our, for our city, I believe. There was a pastor from an incredibly large church in Korea who came to speak. And I'll never forget this. He, he gets up there. You can hear a pin drop with 80,000, you know, Man in one place. He says, America. He said, you know why your nation so blessed? And he's like, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. What about you, Joe? What about you, Bob? I don't know. He goes, America, I come to your country. He says, I, I go to your store. I see 50 million cereal. My country, one. One. He said, America. You have 75% of all automobile in the world. You have them. I guess we do, huh? He's like, do you know why your country's so blessed and South America so poor? I am like, I don't know, do you know? No, tell us, pastor from South Korea. Because the other nations came to South America seeking gold, but they came to America seeking God. The founders of America came over to seek a freedom to worship God Almighty, the sovereign, the creative one. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You wonder why we have a blessed foundation? Because our foundation started with people getting off a boat and dropping to their knees and saying, God Almighty, you've given us an opportunity here. Let us not mess it up. Amen? Amen. Let us occupy in a way. And in fact, you look at history. They, they weren't fighting India. They were getting along well with the Indians. They were loving them, blessing them. They were sharing with them. There was a mutual thing going on until somebody messed that up later on. But there was this, wasn't coming and take over. And con- it was this, God, you love them. You love us. You've given this opportunity. It was really amazing what was going on. South America conquistadors. the doors. We're taking the gold. We'll conquer We're going to get more gold. We're going to have more rain. And that wasn't the way this country was started. So when we look at the blessed foundations, and that's why we say things like, God bless America, right? We say God because we mean that. We want that, but we got to work it out. We also write on our currency. We write, in God we trust. I am so glad we put that on our currency. There's plenty of people who would like that removed. I am so glad we put, in God we trust, on our currency because we live in a capitalistic society that is driven by finance. It's driven by finance, and some people trust in currency, they trust in money, they trust in the almighty dollar and we don't trust, we might use the dollar, we might leverage money, but we don't trust in money, we trust in God. I'm glad that the reminder is on our currency, but here's, here's how some of the early founders of our nation occupied the land. This is how they used their influence for God's glory and this is why this nation was so blessed. Uh, starting out with George Washington, I just want to read a couple of these quotes because I think it amazes me to see the heart of some of these early leaders, how they fully occupied and possessed the land. They said, God, if you've given me influence, I want to use it for your glory, right? They weren't saying, I'm going to retreat and separate the sacred from the secular. I am going to do what you're stirring in my heart and I'm going to represent the best I can because we want you to reign. George Washington said this, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits and humbly to implore His protection and favor. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. This is how we were started. This is why we've got such blessed Heritage and, and that's why we are the most endowed country on planet Earth. You wonder why. It's not an accident. It's not happenstance. I believe it's people getting off a boat and hitting their knees first thing. And saying, I'm seeking you first, God. You've given us this land. Show us how to be stewards of it. Um, John Adams said this. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow then... I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. He's basically saying God's ways have to be stitched into how and why we do things. This is John Adams. Um, Thomas Jefferson, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed the conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever. Talking about guys, recognize that any liberty we have isn't because of a a governor or a senate, it's from God. God is the one first. And so to remember, let's respect him and honor him for that. Uh, Andrew Jackson, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Wow, this is a heavy statement. Patrick Henry, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the heart. I'm just sharing the heart of people who were the framers and the founders where our blessing was built. If you start taking the stones apart and going back to the foundation and how did it get so big and strong and have global influence and how did this empire, you know, unlike many of these other empires built on democracy and freedom. How did it ever get to this point? You got to start looking at the the foundation and see how it was built. And here's the hearts of of some of the early uh, leaders in our nation. Abraham Lincoln, uh, it is announced in scripture and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. So Abraham Lincoln says, you know, it's not about how good you strategize a battle and how good you find and uh, finance things or fund things. If your nation is the Lord, you're going to be blessed. That's Abraham Lincoln. I think he was right on that. So um, what can you and I do when we think of these large areas of influence that are not dealing with your, just your workplace or just your neighborhood where you have a very direct sense of influence, very direct into these areas in your family. We're talking about something massive such as government and even education these systems of influence are so big what can you and i do i would encourage you that jesus said in the parable of the talents i'm giving you these talents one of the talents you have in america that people in china do not have and people in many parts of the country do not have but you do is a talent called a vote your vote is a talent your vote is a talent would you say that my vote is a talent Say it like you mean it. It really is. Because God gave it to you by His sovereign grace in this nation. That if you were on the other side of the world, you would not be a holder of that talent. You wouldn't. And you wouldn't be expected to do anything with it because you don't have it. In this nation, you do. You have a vote. And when the people of God honor government by saying, I'm part of this democracy, I'm part of a society, so I will stand and be counted. Because the government wants everybody to, to vote, I mean, we're supposed to show up and vote. But when the people of God say, no, I'm gonna to render to Caesar what Caesar's and render to God what's God's, remember that your vote is one of those clear things. So I would suggest to you that your vote is something you have to use and not bury. Don't bury your vote. Uh, when the master returns, he's gonna ask, what did we do with stuff? And if we said, well, I... I I removed myself from the secular. I didn't care about that. He's going to say, no, you buried something that I gave you. So I would suggest that's one very real proactive thing that people of God can do is pray over the issues, pray over the candidates, pray over what's going on and say, God, what's going to honor you here? And this isn't about us suggesting to you. This is about no party or no person. This is about you and the living God that you have a conviction in your heart before God that you will say, God, I prayed And I rendered to Caesar what is Caesar, and I rendered to you what is you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is your part. You gotta do that. And the other thing is pray for those in authority. The Bible says we need to pray for those in authority. We will pray that God will move on their hearts and they'll have an ear to hear what the living God wants to do, and that's really important. So the, the fourth point this morning is that we occupy through our prayers and through our votes. We occupy. God's occupy movement lives on through our prayers And through our votes, we don't have to sit blocking a street off. We don't have to block a financial center. We don't have to do those sort of things in God's economy. But in God's economy, we occupy through our prayers. There's a tearing down of strongholds. Things like this happen in our prayer. As all sorts of stuff shifts and moves through prayer. When you stand in faith for for these areas. But also your votes. It's almost like faith without works. I'm praying, but I won't take the step and vote. It's faith without works is dead. And I think voting without prayer is reckless, but praying without voting could be faith without works. Does that make sense? We, we got to do both, guys. We got we to walk this thing out prayerfully. And so just in closing, and this would be good, in fact, if the worship team comes up, I just want to hit on this little last part of the mountain when we think of the government structure is, is education, the mountain of education. It's government. It's one of these big things that are so big that what can you and I do? Um, It's been said that the success of a generation is measured by how well we hand it off to the next one. How well we hand it off to the next generation, that's how we will be measured. How well the last generation handed it off to us is how they will be measured. You know, I salute the World War II generation because they came back through time of pain and suffering and a lot of hardship and a lot of sacrifice. And they built most of L.A., you know. And they gave it to us in pretty good shape. You know what I mean? They, they, really, they really did. Uh, but through the 60s and 70s and 80s, there's been some moral declines in our society. And I don't know, through, through debt and printing money right now, we've printed a couple trillion dollars. Uh, we're not really handing things off morally or fiscally on a lot of levels. We're not really handing it off so well to the next generation. So our generation will be looked at, I believe, in the scope of time, in the scope of history. As either the turnaround revival generation, or the ones who stepped back and said it's not my, it's not my problem. I really do. I think in the scope of America's history, when you see how the torch, the baton has been passed from like a sprint relay, handing it off. I think right now, given this is the, the the overview of a lot of statistics and things, that we get to be a redemption generation. We get to be a revival generation. We get to be a turnaround generation or we can, we can shrink back and retreat. And I believe God's calling us to that. But there's a battle for the influence in the minds and hearts of our culture. And it starts with our children. There is a war going on for the hearts and minds of children unlike ever before. And what's important about this family is that the church is always one generation away from extinction, How well you and I hand faith to our children is monumentally important and not just our children but to the community at large who has no direction and no aim. We're praying that our VBS as a whole bunch of kids come in here that don't really have direction and aim. We would love to help impart God's ways, plant some seeds in their life, irrevocable seed at a young age. Harvard University, when they started, here's what their handbook that every student got. Every student at Harvard received this in their handbook. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main, en- the main end of his life and the studies is to, quote, unquote, know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. This is what your aim is. Every student coming in, before you start any academic, cracking a book, boom, this, is, this is how this was built. But not only them, all these other universities, you can go down the whole line. And the foundations were, God is giving us this opportunity to begin with. So we're living in some interesting times where a lot of that's been removed, so we have to be on notice if we're going to be a redemption generation. Noah Webster is called the father of American scholarship and education, right? Noah Webster, this is what he wrote, education is useless without the Bible. The Bible was America's basic textbook in all fields. God's word contained in the Bible has furnished all necessary rules to direct our conduct. This is what the framers, the early people were saying about God's influence. Remember, we're talking about occupying. These guys occupied well. These guys helped to possess the land. They didn't in retreat. And so my prayer, my prayer for us is that we don't retreat, that we occupy. I would just say an action point in this area of education. Maybe you have kids in public schools. Occupy, don't retreat. Engage, don't back away. Step in, get involved in the system. Get it. If you're a teacher, God bless you. Is there any teachers here in the public school? Public school teachers? Okay, would you stand up? We wanna pray for you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Public school teachers? You wanna stand up? We wanna pray for you. Yeah. Um, anybody else here involved in any kind of government role? Uh, fire, police, uh, any kind of thing? Yeah, stand up. That's great. We wanna pray for you. Um, and this is an important time, guys. This is The Bible says that through prayer, God moves and he shuffles and he shifts things. But you guys are in a realm. You guys are in a realm of, what the world would call secular, but God wants you to pour out salt out of that shaker and light up a torch like no one around you is doing and no one around you can do because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and not many of your coworkers. And so we want to pray for that. So can we do that right now? I just want to close in prayer, but those around me, just put your hands on them. And we're going to pray in general um, for, for our government and our education that we'd be a redemption generation. But if you're around them, just lay your hands on them and pray in faith, would you please, that God uses them and all our other brothers and sisters around the city and this country that represent these areas so we will take back these mountains of influence, we'll occupy for God's glory and namesake. Lord, we come before you today and we just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would pour out your grace, your power, your endurance, God. I pray for endurance Um, For for, uh, those that are serving you in these areas, Lord, of government and education, Lord God, that we would not retreat, we would not shrink back, but we would move forward, but not in our strength, but in your strength. And I just pray for an extra endowment of your grace on them, Lord, that they would shine for you in, in a way that is way beyond anything they could have imagined, that they would be given greater influence for you, God, because they've been faithful with the influence you're giving them. And Lord I also just pray that Lord they would be their salt would come out of the shaker Lord God that they would add flavor to a flavorless society God that they would add freshness preservative uh, to, uh, to places where there is a lack of freshness, Lord. So do an amazing work, Lord God. And we also right now pray for the governing officials. We pray for our president, the Congress, the Senate, Lord God. We pray for elections coming up next year. Uh, we pray for state assemblies and Congress, Lord God. We pray for local mayors and police and fire leaders, God. We pray, Lord, military leaders, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would stir hearts of men and women to take their place in this great occupation movement, this Occupy movement that you started 3,500 years ago. And we wouldn't force things on anybody, but our light would shine and the salt would flow and people would know that we're leveraging our influence for your glory and namesake. That's our prayer, God. We ask, Lord, that you would take back the areas that we've relinquished, Lord God. You would take back the areas that we've separated ourselves from and you would make yourself known in profound and glorious ways. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys, for fighting the good fight like you do. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.